a beckoning spirit of God here. Spirit of the Lord is beckoning, inviting. I loved getting to worship with you here. I loved getting to worship with Nathaniel this morning. I mean that. I mean that. Our children learn to worship because they see us worship. They hear us worship. I'm sure there's nothing more beautiful than an innocent child worshiping God. And what a privilege it is to worship together. Amen? Oh, he's worthy of our worship. It's not just something we do to pass time. It is an expression of our spirit to him. God, we worship you. God, I worship you for you are holy and righteous and worthy of my worship. I lift my voice to you because you truly have put breath in me. I thank you because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you, the Father of light in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. I have life because of you. I have health because of you. I have hope because of you. I have peace and joy because of you and you alone. And I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. First Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four. Verse number one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. Everybody say battle. There is a battle that takes place in our daily life. We are in a spiritual battle. Now, Brother Lewis said it. He said, you know, you... Somebody can say, oh, you know, God's with you. And you that doesn't change what you're going through in the moment sometimes. Say, oh, thank you. And, but we're, we're in a battle. And, and some days we're in the battle and we've got great faith and confidence. Man, stuff is going to take. And other days we're in the battle. And I'm like, oh, man, I just want to get out of the battle. Right? Is that real? But we can't or we shouldn't. we got to stay in. we got to keep fighting. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what Paul said when he finished. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. So we got to fight the fight until we finish our course. And so there's a battle. Israel went out to battle with the Philistines, and they pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. That means they lined themselves up and were ready to go fight. They put themselves... In array against Israel, when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, 
Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Isn't that interesting? They said, why has the Lord done this? Why has the Lord smitten us today? They had such an understanding in battle that if I'm smitten, the Lord's hand has allowed this for some reason. Now, the reason for them was because they were, well, that's a different Bible say for a different time. Go read the rest of Samuel there, first few chapters. But watch. Let us, they, they decided we got a solution. We've got a solution for victory. Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. You ever got stuck in a predicament or been in a battle and thought, man, if this would just happen, it'd be okay. If this and then that happened and it's not okay. Lord, if you would just do this, then everything would be okay. And then that seems to take place. Not saying the Lord did it. I don't know, but you know your situation, your battle. But then that happens and you're like, man, this is not what it used to be. This is, this is, but I'm still, what's the deal? Well, they said, hey, we're in this battle. We just lost 4,000 men. We're going to get the ark. We'll bring the ark here and it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. You notice how subtle that was? They didn't say God will save us out of the hand of our enemies. Just like that, they shifted from their focus recognizing it was God that delivered them and fought and gave them victory. And their focus on what they needed to win the battle shifted from God to an it. Now, I understand and recognize the ark of God represented the presence of the Lord. Because the glory of the Lord would come down in the tabernacle between the cherubims that were on the Ark of the Covenant above the mercy seat. And the Shekinah glory would fill the tabernacle. And so they knew that, but they began to worship it. And they believed it would save them out of the hand of their enemies. Their expression tells us they had turned from looking to the Lord to looking to It's, it's like the man in Solomon's porch that we read about in the ministry of Christ where the Bible says that there was a pool of water that at certain times an angel would come and trouble the water. And whoever that would get into the water first when it was troubled, they realized they were healed. I, I don't know who figured that out first or what, but they figured it out. And the Bible tells us if you read that passage of Scripture, there in Bethsaida is where it was because it says there was by Bethsaida a sheep market and beside it there was a pool. And so they learned this. And over time, the Bible says that there were 
I think it's five porches that were built. I mean, they started building terraces for more and more people around that pool, more and more people. And people got to where they were no longer looking to God. They were looking to the pool. Matter of fact, God manifested in the flesh shows up at the pool. Jesus Christ himself comes walking among the sick, the lame, the halt, the blind that were there around that pool. And he comes to a man that's lame. And he says to the man, would you like to be made whole? And the man does not say yes. The man says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when it's troubled. My solution is down there. And there's no one to get me to the pool. And God in the flesh is right in front of me. It's ironic, isn't it? Israel said, why has the Lord smitten us? And in the next breath, they said, get the ark. It will save us. They were bothered at God for their situation, but they were looking beyond God for the answer to their situation. Is that not human nature? I don't know about you. I probably do because you're as human as I am. Man, I can hear that and I can see myself right there sometimes. All of us probably can if we're honest. God, why did you let this happen to me? And then I'm asking him for the solution that I believe will fix it. Rather than praying and trusting, you have an answer. But what? Now watch. Let's fetch the ark. When it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. which dwells between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Notice verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Now, you have this picture. I, I need us to see this, and I'm trusting the Holy Ghost to minister to each of us individually and us collectively in our own circumstances and situations where we are, and only He knows where we are today. And here it is. They had the idea that the ark was what would do it. And so the ark comes and their faith is lifted. Now their faith in God hasn't changed. But they feel better. Your feelings can deceive you. They feel better about their circumstances. Because their own idea of a perceived solution has shown up. 
Does that make, is this making sense? This ark has showed up. It may save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And so when the ark shows up, they don't begin to worship God and praise God. There's no indication that that happens. There's no indication that they begin to call out to the Lord and cry out to him. It simply says that when the ark came in, they all shouted with a great shout. But now I want you to watch something. I want you to see something. Verse 6. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming. I don't know how they understood. I don't know if word trickled, if if they had a spy off and they were watching people come and go. That's sort of what I imagined, but I don't know. But somehow, the Philistines, remember who the Philistines are, right? The Philistines are the enemy. The Philistines represent the circumstance that is opposing them. The Philistines are the enemy that is contrary to them. The Philistines are what they're wanting to be victorious over. The Philistines represent what they want to change and be done away with. Something happened to where their enemy, when they heard the shout, they had the understanding from the shout that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp of Israel. Somehow they connected the shout with that. So what did they think? Watch verse 7. And the Philistines were afraid. Why were they afraid? For they said, God is coming to the camp. The enemy thought more of God doing something than Israel thought of God doing something. Israel was so bound by their circumstance that they were looking to a solution other than God. But the enemy feared what would happen if God came to the people of God. And I dare say there's times in our life, maybe some of us here this morning, you've got circumstances or situations where you've said, God, if you would just this, if this would just happen, if that would just happen, And the enemy is just thankful that you're not saying, God, if you will show up. But the enemy's perception of God in your circumstance is different than your perception of God in your circumstance. And the enemy's afraid of God in your circumstance, and you can only see what's not happening. The Philistines cried out and said, God has come in. They didn't say the ark has come into the camp. They had more reverence than the, for the ark than Israel did. They had more reverence for the presence of God. You understand reverence is a godly fear. They had more reverence for the presence of God coming into the camp than Israel did. Israel had reduced it to an it, but the enemy still recognized what the power was. Now, we can be pretty rough on Israel in this situation. 
But every single one of us can fall into the same trap where our circumstances and the battle that's taking place and we see the Philistines and they represent all that opposes us. They represent that which seems to restrict us from where God would take us. And we start saying, if this would come, then it would be okay. This might sound crazy, but I have a genuine question. Is God enough? It will save us. It will. I have I've lived a little bit. I'm not old, but I'm not young anymore either. Somewhere in the middle. I must stay in the middle quite a while, I think. Somewhere in the middle. People keep living longer, so I stay in middle age. I remember years and years and years ago, not here. I remember there was this precious lady of God, loved God, served God. God was doing great things in her life. But her husband did not live for God. Her husband was separated from the Lord. She would pray for her husband. The church would pray for her husband. They were about mine and my wife's age. Give or take three to five years, one way or the other. I'm not sure. can't remember right now. She would pray and, and she'd come, God doing great things in her life. And she was just like, man, if, if my husband would just, if my husband would just, it was always if my husband would just. We'd pray. And you know what? One day God did. I remember the day her husband came and repented in the altar. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He was a good friend to me. God used him. It was the craziest thing you can imagine. Now, she didn't walk away from God. Don't, don't jump ahead here. But for the next several months... It's like she could not get out of her own way now that her husband was living for God. Because here's what happened. Her husband got filled with the Holy Ghost, hungered for God, started digging in the Word, praying, started doing the things she said she wanted him to do. That she was sure it was the answer. Now that was the will of God. He started digging in the Word, praying, loving God, living for God. And then guess what happened? He started realizing, I need to be the head of my home. I should be leading my family. I and so he began to walk according to the word of God to do that. And you know who had the most trouble with that? His wife. I remember that. If this was just different, it would be so, oh, right. Right. See, this is, the this is what happened to Israel. They said, this is, if this would happen, it would save us. 
This would fix my whole circumstance. This would fix everything. Just this, this. It will save us. It will change things. It will take care of things. It will. Can I say to us this morning, stop focusing on it, 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 because I promise you that goalpost keeps moving. He, he will save us. He is enough. He is enough. He's everything I need. He's the source of life. He's the source of strength. He's the solution to my circumstance. If my circumstance never changes, he is enough. If that which I'm dealing with never changes, he is enough. You understand the apostle Paul had an issue. He was dealing with something in his flesh. I don't know if that means it was physically in his flesh or he was having this battle that kept causing his flesh to rise up. I don't know, but we know he had a challenge in his flesh and it weighed on him. It weighed on him so much that he prayed about it. That's a good thing to do when something's weighing on you. He went, but here's the deal. We pray about stuff, but we don't want the we don't want to pause and hear what does God have to say about what we're praying about. Because we pray telling God what we want Him to do rather than praying and asking God what He thinks. Man, I sure thought we were going somewhere else today. And so we pray. But Paul did what we should do. Paul went and prayed about his circumstance and situation wanting to hear what God thought about it. And he prayed about it. And ask God to deal with it. I don't know what it was. Take this away from me. Remove this. We do know that's what he prayed. Whether it was sickness in body, whether it was something tormenting him that caused his flesh. Like I said, we don't know. The Bible, But he called it a thorn in his flesh. That's an irritant in your flesh. Poking you. Ah! And the Bible says he talked to the Lord about it. To remove it. And the Lord responded to him. And the Lord said, no. So Paul did what any good Christian does. After a little bit, he went back to the Lord again because this thing was still there. This battle that he was facing that was still there. He went back and he prayed again. And the Lord said, no. So he did it again. After a while, the third time. I don't know how much time went across. He may have done it three days in a row. He may have done it once every three weeks. It may have been every few months he went back to the Lord. I don't know. But the third time he went, the Lord said, no. But the Lord said this, my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, my strength, the Lord's strength, is made perfect or complete. That thing that you are so sure should get changed and fixed, God in His infinite wisdom knows Are you going to keep looking for the ark to come to the camp? Or is he enough? God's grace is sufficient. I marvel at the fact 
that the enemy had more reverence for God than Israel did in their situation. And the very fact that Israel, you understand Israel could have, when the ark came in, Israel could have humbled themselves and repented and said, God, we, rep we recognize that this ark only represents your presence. It's not you. You alone can save us. You alone can deliver us. You got to help us know what to do in this battle. You got to give us direction. We need your instruction, God. We're looking to no one but you. We'll accept what you do and say, and we submit ourselves to you, God, whatever you want. We look, but they didn't do that. But the enemy saw and heard cry and the enemy said God's come in the camp woe unto us for there hath not been such a thing before watch verse 8 woe unto us who shall deliver us out of hand of these mighty gods they didn't say Israel. Now, they didn't realize the Philistines said mighty gods because they worship multiple gods. We know there's only one God that Israel worshiped. Notice what they said. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. The enemy was declaring what God had done for the people of God in the past. The people of God were, woe is me, the ark will save us. And the enemies over here going, this is the God that delivered them once before. From the, this is the God that smote the Egyptians. This is the God that... The enemy sees God different than the people of God see Him. God forbid. God forbid. Awaken me from slumber, Lord. Awaken me from doubt. Awaken me from despair. You are enough. You are enough. It will not save, but you save. You are enough. Your grace is sufficient. Back to the man there at the pool. Lord, there's no man to put me in the water. I need somebody to help me. His focus was still on a man. Somewhere in the process of time, they saw the pool as the solution rather than the God that sent the angel to trouble the pool. And that can happen to you and I if we're not careful. I feel like the Holy Ghost is wanting to give some of you hope afresh and anew today. God is still able to overcome in every battle of your life. God is still greater than that which would try to hurt or harm or destroy you. God is still greater. It will not save us. God alone saves us. And if God does not choose to bring us out, He will certainly bring us through. And whatever He chooses is fine because He's God. I just want what He wants, not what I want. The three Hebrew children said, we will not bow to your idol, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, after they, he said, try again. I'll give you a second chance. 
They said, we don't need a second chance. Whether God saves us or not, it doesn't matter. We're not going to bow to this idol. Go ahead and throw us in the furnace. Because God, whether he saves us from the fire or not, doesn't matter. But he will save us out of your hand, O king. They had such a resolve in their spirit. God will save us either way. Either he will deliver us from the fire or we'll die in the fire, and that would be deliverance from you. But either way, God's got us. We need a recognition and a a renewed faith in our life. God has me in the palm of his hand. God knows the circumstances I face. God is my solution. I'm praying not just for change according to my will. I'm praying to hear from God in the matter. I understand there are things that we know are the will of God, and we pray the will of God until we see it happen. Many things we need to understand God's purpose in it. And so he keeps us in things for his purpose. This is this story here in 1 Samuel just, I marvel. Watch verse 9. Now, this, in case you forgot, this is still the Philistines talking. This is still the enemy talking here. And watch what the enemy says to the armies. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. That's prepare, ready yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, so that you do not become servants to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Do you realize how ironic that scripture is right there? The Ark of the Covenant that Israel said it will save us came into the camp. And when it came in, all of their faith went to it. And so a shout rang out, the Bible says. As I've already pointed out, not to the Lord, just a shout. Whether rejoicing, excitement, energy, effort, emotion, some emotion came to the surface. Because it was perceived to be the answer. But the enemy recognized the power of God because of what he'd done in the children of Israel's lives before. I'm telling you, the enemy is afraid of your God. And when you get stuck in a situation and you begin to cry out to God, This is why praise is so powerful. It puts fear in the heart of the enemy. They're worshiping God. I know what their God has done before. That's what the Philistines equated that shout to, and they were like, oh, no. I know what their God has done in the past. Israel should have been praying, Lord, you brought us out of Egypt. You delivered us from the hand of the Egyptians. You smote Pharaoh in the water. You brought us through that Red Sea and then slaughtered all the armies of Egypt. God, you brought us to Jericho and you caused the walls to fall flat and you gave us victory. The kings of Og and Bashan and you delivered us from all of them. You gave us victory over the enemy. You saved us by few. You used Gideon and delivered us from all of those armies with but 300 men. They weren't doing that. They weren't rejoicing and praising God and putting their faith back in God for what God had already done. And they had a bunch of examples. 
And guess what? You and I have a bunch of examples. But when we come to that next Philistine, it's like we, something happens to our human nature. We forget about all that God's done. Now, I know we don't forget. But this is the power of our circumstances to try. See, we're as human as they are. The Lord of God would, the Lord God would like to let us know today. He's greater than all of your circumstances. He's greater. The very God that should have caused the Israelites to praise and rise up actually caused the Philistines to strengthen themselves and fight with more fervor. because of their fear of Israel's God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Really, you got to answer that question. Please stand with me this morning. If God be for us, who can be against us? Sometimes you've got to just quote the word of God until you're sure that you believe it. Are you sure you believe it? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. All those that rise up against me, you shall condemn. Why? Because I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm just quoting the word to you. You see... It's like Brother Lewis said, well, you know, you try to pump me up. And I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. No. All I can do is try to provoke you. This is what I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to do for some of you today. He's trying to provoke some things in you. It says, am I not God? Not me, you understand. Am I not God? Have I become weak all of a sudden? Am I incapable of working on your behalf? Are you in such a circumstance and situation that I cannot still be God? Is your circumstance too hard and difficult for me? Do you think I don't know where you are? Do you think I'm ignorant of what you're going through and what you're facing? Do you think that after all these years, I don't care about you and therefore I'm not paying attention? I, I hear that. This is what I hear screaming. Out. I heard it in worship crying. Do you think I've forgotten you? Do you think that which comes against you can destroy you if I stand on your side? Do you think for a moment that I have stepped away and left you alone? Do you doubt my power that I've demonstrated to you again and again and again? Would you question that I'm as close as you calling my name? Would you recognize that I'm not just with you? I'm in you and I'll war on your behalf. But you've got to get your faith turned back to me. Stop looking to the ark. It won't save you. But I'm still with you. You give more ear to the enemy than you give to God. How do we know? Because you speak the things that the enemy is speaking to you rather than speaking the word of God against the voice of the enemy. What does that sound like? Well, it just seems like nothing's ever going to change. Oh, is that God talking? 
Who's, where's that thought coming from? Some of you getting revelation right now. Where's that thought coming from? I've made this statement on the journey many times. I just don't know what to do. And it usually seems that's right where God likes me to be. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't know what to do. And it's almost like I hear God say, see where I want you. Now you got two choices. Just do tons of stuff to try to, I'll do, it's like throwing darts. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. I'll just, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll, oh, let's do that. And you wear yourself out and you're crazy and you get more frustrated. And that voice of the enemy just keeps coming. See, that didn't work. See, that didn't work. And He's a liar and he's a discourager, but he's absolutely right. The reason, at least in part, and the reason it didn't work is because it wasn't God directing you to do that. You didn't know what to do. And so you just started doing anything and everything, hoping something would work. Can I help you? Can the Lord help us? When you get to that place where you don't know what to do, I'm going to tell you what to do. Go to the word and go to a closet of prayer and pray until God. God tells you what to do. You say, but he's not telling me anything. Then you pray until God tells you what to do. How long? Until God tells you what to do. Well, what do I do until then? I'll tell you what you do till then. Stand. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said, put on the whole armor of God. And he said, having done all to stand, stand. When you've done everything to stand, just stand. What am I doing? I'm just standing. Standing says some things. Standing says I'm not giving up my ground. Standing says I'm not backing down. Standing says, I'm making a statement of confidence in him. Standing says, I'll not move until God give me direction to move. Standing is a declaration of faith. Stand. You say, but I don't feel anything. I understand that. But standing is telling the enemy something. I will not be moved by your threats. I will not be moved by your attempts to guide circumstances contrary in my life. I will stand on the word of God and I will wait till I hear from God. And when he speaks, I'll know his voice and I'll do what he says. And when I do, it will turn the tide because God has a plan for me in this circumstance, in this situation. My confidence and trust is not in it, it's in Him. My faith is in You, Lord. Come on, would you talk to Him? My faith is in You, Lord. You know where I am. You know what I'm facing. You know what I'm going through. And You are enough. Your grace is sufficient. My faith is in You afresh and anew today. If I hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battle. If I hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battle.
Didele meki arabashi tolobo koreya maha. of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I will not fear what man can do unto me. I stand on your word, Lord. 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 In Jesus' name, the man at the pool of Bethesda that said, Lord, no man, when the Lord asked him, would you like to be made whole? And he said, Lord, when the water's troubled, there's no man to put me in the pool. He didn't say, Lord. He said, there's no man. Jesus said to him, get up. Get up. Get up. I just told you there's no man to put me in the pool. The Lord really didn't care what he told him. The Lord had a plan that was better than his plan. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. Hold on, I don't know how to do that. The word of God came into his situation. And when the word of God came into his situation, everything was answered. This is why we pray until we hear from God. Because the word of God answers everything. It would seem his lifelong, or at least much of his life, this man was sure that the answer was getting in that pool. And we can say, man, how crazy could he have been? And we are just as human as he was. We get our mind fixated on what we believe the answer is. Rather than who is the answer. And his answer stood there before him. And God did what he never expected. Is that the truth? I feel such a witness of the Spirit here today. For some of you this morning, if you'll make the shift spiritually that we're talking about today, God will do what you never expected. 
And I promise you, his way is better than mine or your plan. Sometimes we got to take our idea and we got to say, God, release it. I just want you. I just want you. And if it never changes, you are enough. I just want you. Because you are enough. Everything I need, I find in you. You are bread when I am hungry. You are water when I am thirsty. You are peace in my storm. You are hope when it seems hopeless. You are joy in the midst of sorrow. You are enough for me. I want you. Come on, would you talk to him and express that in your own way right now? The ministering spirit of God is here. And he would pour into your spirit this morning. Well, and the answer is not as far away as you think. The answer is right here in the room. You just had to get your eyes reset. You just had to get your spirit reset. The answer is right here. Matter of fact, the answer has been here all along. We just got to shift from the ark, from it to him. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, when I've looked the wrong way. Forgive me where I've gotten distracted. You know my frame, God. You know, you understand that so subtle, God. I didn't even realize I was, I was looking for a solution beyond you and trying to direct you what to do. I repent today, God. I repent and I come humbly and boldly saying, I need you. Everything I need is in you. You're the answer. You're the source. I know this. I believe this. I look to you. You're enough. I remember when a few years ago I was in a battle. My battle was with the spirit of offense that was trying to get in. Spirit of offense that kept trying to get in. Trying to put me at odds with a brother and a sister. The spirit of offense trying. Fighting, warring, fighting, warring. And I remember praying and communicating things in prayer. And periodically talking with my wife, even then I limited my conversation about it because I knew I was battling of a spirit of offense and I didn't want to adversely affect my wife. But I needed somebody praying with me. So I was very careful. But 
And I remember making statements like, if they would just do this then, or if they would not do this then, or if this was that then, and I had all these things that would fix it, you know, that would make it so that it didn't pain me so much or hurt me so much, or you understand what I'm saying? Those ideas that we have like that, what they do is they cause us to hold on to and continue to justify an offense. Because when I forgive the way God forgives, God didn't forgive you because you fixed all the stuff you did wrong, did he? Is that how you got forgiveness? God said, I'll forgive you once you've fixed all the stuff you did wrong that you want me to forgive you for. No, he didn't, did he? But you know what happens? When a spirit of offense comes, that's exactly the attitude of forgiveness we get. If you'll fix all the stuff you did wrong to me, Sister Annie, Sister Annie hadn't done anything wrong to me. If you'll fix all the stuff you did wrong to me, then I'll forgive you. Until then, I'm offended with you. See, we have a higher standard than God does for forgiveness. Oh, true forgiveness says, if you never fix any of it, I release you. Not justifying what you did, but I release you. Why? Because I'm done fighting that battle that I'm not intended to fight. You understand some of your battles and my battles are our own making. Some battles are as simple as forgiveness. Whew. Man, I feel such a declarative word of the Lord today. I believe you witness it as well. I thank you for your reception of the word of God. Could we thank him right now? Would you do that with me? Would you thank him and would you, in your way, in your words to the Lord, express whatever it is that you need to express to him regarding this word and where it's reaching into mine and your life? Come on, talk honestly with him. Don't tiptoe around stuff. Just speak it to him. Begin to walk down that road today in communicating these things that need to be communicated in prayer. If you're in a place of battle and you just need a reshifting of your perspective and priorities again, back to him. Talk to him. He is enough. He's very near. He's not chastising us today. He's beckoning us back to him. He wars on your behalf. He fights for us. God is on our side.